Episode 205, Kim Sorrell, author of the book, Love Is. Well, my favorite mistake is, was a very hard lesson, I have to say. I bought a grocery store in St. Croix. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Kim, her book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 205. As always, thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven. Our guest today is Kim Sorrell. She is joining me from my original home state of Michigan, a different side of the state uh, from where I grew up. But Kim is the director of a humanitarian organization. She's a popular speaker, and she's the author of two books. Her first, um, titled Cry Until You Laugh, was about um, her and her husband's battle with cancer after they were diagnosed um, four months apart. Her second book is titled Love Is. It chronicles um, her year-long quest to figure out the true meaning of love. And um, hope people will check out that book. It talks about her her journey, including some life-changing discoveries she found uh, in Haiti. So um, with that, Kim, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. How are you today? I am doing well. Uh, I'm glad you're here. We, um, there's a lot we can talk about hear um, about your book and your work and things you've learned along the way. But I guess one of those things you've learned along the way is um, lessons from a mistake. So I'll jump in and, and ask you, what's your favorite mistake? Well, my favorite mistake is was a very hard lesson, I have to say. I bought a grocery store in St. Croix and the Virgin Islands, and I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so needed a manager down there. And put an ad in the paper. So it was that long ago that that's how you found somebody it was an ad in the actual newspaper, printed newspaper. And it got some response, but it got a response from one guy who was just felt called, like he felt like God showed him that particular listing and he just knew it was the job for him. He just knew it. And so with that amount of passion and him really believing he was called to do this, I hired him. And it ended up being a disaster. He was not good at the job. He was not equipped for the job. Really, it was my mistake putting the wrong person in the wrong position, you know, in the wrong position on the bus, as they say, right? And uh, it didn't work out. We moved him and his family over there. We had to move him and his family back. Cost a lot of money. Cost money because the store didn't do well. Just all of that. And I learned that uh, because I'm in the for-profit and the not-for-profit world, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I've had lots of businesses and and the two seem to do things differently. A mistake that the nonprofit world does that I did is hire fast and fire slow. Mm-hmm. When really you should hire slow and fire fast. Right. So take the time, make sure that it's the right person. And then when it's time to let somebody go, you gotta, you gotta up the strings. Yeah. Well, thank thank you for sharing that. And I, I, there's you know some elements of the story I'd love to to dig into a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, you were new 
to that type of business? Or I'm, I'm just curious, like you were in Michigan, how, how do you end up buying a business in St. Croix, yet alone a grocery store? I'm curious, <laughs> curious what how that came to be. Well, there was a listing in the Wall Street Journal for this grocery store for sale. So went down and checked it out and uh, bought it for the cost of the inventory. So figured I couldn't go wrong because the price was right and uh, thought it'd be fun to, you know, I, I, business is business, right? So whether you're running a golf course or you're running event facility, a factory, or whatever you're running, a grocery store, you know, same principles apply. So if you can run a business, I figured I can run a business in St. Croix. We can make that happen. And it did end up being a great thing when we got the right manager there. Okay. But that, that's how we got it to begin with. Yeah. And and that was part of your background I didn't mention in introductions. Tell, tell the audience a little bit about, um, before we get back into the St. Croix story and what you learned, um, you, a long history with the country club. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, my first foray into business, I was 18 years old and bought an old building and lease space and then bought more buildings and lease space, but bought this piece of property that was a nine hole golf course with a shack on a hill and turned it into an 18 hole course and added by dining and added event facilities, bought another place with event facilities, had other businesses throughout the years. And yeah, lots of fun stuff. So you, it sounds like you have a track record there or a real interest in you know, building a business or taking something that was, you know, ma- making it better. Like with the, this grocery store being for sale at a price where it's inventory only, like was, was it sort of a distressed situation that you saw, you know, was a turnaround opportunity? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The things weren't really being run, run well in the business at all. You know, there weren't inventories even kept. So we had to kind of go in and figure it out. Uh, but yes, no, no training of staff. It was uh, it was a failing business. So always fun to go in and turn a business like that around. Yeah, but I'm sure with your background in hospitality and customer service, that there was certain opportunity to to do some customer service training to create an, a, better, a better environment for customers. Yeah, I would say absolutely that's true. And the location of the store was uh, more where tourists would go. And it was just a regular grocery store. So we added a little bakery, we had fresh baked goods all the time and and uh, nice cheeses and meats and things that tourists would like mm-hmm. to buy. Yeah. And so then you hired the manager. You talk about this idea of um, hire slow fire fast, but if you, you hired fast and you, you fire slow was the, did the, was the mistake slow to appear or did you almost realize like almost right away of like some hirers remorse of like, Oh, or did it, did it take some time to really kind of understand that? Okay. We made a hiring mistake. It took a little bit of time because I'm, you know, far removed from it. But getting regular reports and whatever, it all sounded good, sounded like things were going good until I went down and looked at the books and realized that things were not going good. And uh, and there were little cues throughout the way, things that were said that I thought, oh, hmm, you shouldn't really feel like that. You know, that's not really the right way to look at things. Like, what, can, you, can you remember an example? Of, yeah, of well, I remember... Uh, yeah, I remember him talking about somebody on staff 
And the way he was talking about them was sort of dehumanizing. Mm. I thought, no, we we never treat people that way. Mm-hmm. So inappropriate. So we'll we'll come back to the topic and and the theme of your book. Love is. It seems like in a in a professional platonic way, he didn't love his employees or wasn't treating them respectfully. Right. Absolutely. He uh, thought that he was better than higher mm-hmm. than because of his position. Mm-hmm. So then. Kind of along that line of you know firing slowly, if you will. I mean, were were, were you trying to to coach him up? There was this balance of like, okay, do I do I fire this person and try again, or do can can I can I coach him up? Was, was there some thought process around that? Yeah, absolutely, because there was this investment, right? I mean, it's not cheap to move a family to St. Croix, find them a place to live, a vehicle, all of that stuff. So he had this investment. And thought, well, gosh, if you can make the investment work, that's really the best way instead of having to start all over again. And I did end up keeping him way too long um, because I was trying to coach him up. And and some people, you know, he's a, he, you can be a great guy. You can be an awesome person, but it doesn't mean that you fit into every position, sure. that every job is for you. Sure. So, sure. you know, something that I learned is that uh, firing somebody, letting somebody go can be a blessing to them because when people are not in the right position, it can be frustrating and agonizing to go to work. And in, instead of living in their gifts and, and their passions and what they really want to do. Yeah. So it's okay to release people when you need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that experience gave you a list of experiences or traits to look for to hire the replacement. Yes. Then tell, tell, tell us about then the next, the next manager and, and, and sort of, you know, how, how you adjusted based on what you learned. Yeah. Well, we uh, hired a man from a small Island down in the Caribbean. So already it was a better fit because culturally uh, things are different. I mean, it, it's the U.S. Virgin Islands, but St. Croix has its own culture. The U.S. Virgin Islands have their own culture. And so culturally, he was much closer than this guy from Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know, whatever. So he had some understanding going in. So that was good. And uh, really checked his credentials, really checked him out, um, put, gave him some scenarios, uh, brought him into the place saw how we actually operated. Like we really took our time and found the best manager we could have found. So, okay. Yeah. I should have asked where that first manager came from because I I was making the mistake of assuming that you had hired somebody local to sell or from another part, you know, nearby you talked about the relocation. I guess I I wasn't picturing in my head a relocation from Michigan down to St. Croix. Yeah, that's a long, long relocation. <laughs> yeah, a big, uh, a big change. So there, I guess there was a lesson learned in having somebody who who knew more of the local culture because the store employees were local. That that seemed like an important important part of um, a manager employee dynamic there of of not being a total outsider. Right. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and. It's it's good that there's different cultures in the world, right? Like it, it makes the world more colorful and wonderful, but uh, respecting the culture and realizing that maybe you got to tweak the way you do business a little bit because you're in a different place and 
uh, makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So you've worked in many countries, different continents. Um, t- tell us a little bit before we talk about the book again, I Love Is by Kim Sorrell. Um, tell us a little bit, though, about the nonprofit work that you've done. Yeah, so I run a nonprofit organization, Raise of Hope International. We're a humanitarian organization. We're a partnering organization. So we work with people in their own country that have a passion, a vision, a mission to do something to help people in their own country. So they understand the culture, they understand the language, and they understand the real need. So instead of me going in saying, oh my gosh, you guys look hungry, let's build a farm, you know, maybe a farm isn't the first step for them. And so we just walk alongside. So, you know, somebody feels, knows that there's a need for a school. Well, it's hard to have a school without a building, without desks, without pencils. And so to get the supplies and get things off the ground. And a lot of times it's also with a business plan that leads to self-sustainability. So they're not always chasing dollars, but they're able to get to a point within five years is always our goal where they're completely self-sustainable. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for for doing that. And is there a website where people can learn more about the nonprofit? Uh, Yes, it's raiseofhopeinternational.org. Raise of hope. Mm -hmm. Okay. I hope people will um, check that out. And, you know, um, just, you know, maybe it's just a quick point or I don't know if you have stories around this. I've had two guests previously who shared favorite mistake stories about going into other countries and and, 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 different, and other continents, kind of going in with an assumption of what they thought aid should look like, only to then learn, okay, that was an American perspective, an American assumption. Um, gosh, it's early, it's too early in the morning, I'm having a brain cramp. But the one story was about, you know, going and uh, building a, a school and some of the locals were trying to warn her the building's too nice. We don't need a school that that that's that nice. And sure enough, the school got seized by the military for their purposes. And you know, um, so I, anyway, you know, it's just uh, I'll, I'll I'll look up the names and maybe put links in the show notes for those related episodes. But I mean, have have you managed to avoid mistakes of kind of like cultural assumptions of coming into uh, a different land? Uh, no, I've not managed okay. to avoid mistakes. Okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say that I have, but I've had some very interesting experiences that, uh, you know, looking back, maybe I would have handled differently. But, but also realizing that people are people all over the world, and you know, being a woman dealing with some countries that are just completely run by men can be a difficult thing. But I don't think about my gender until somebody points it out to me, right? So, you know, I just feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then when all the doors are closing and wondering why, uh, you learn, you know, I, I learned in a hurry how to deal with that, how to how to work through that. And, and uh, I had a situation in Venezuela. I went there after flooding, horrible flooding that uh, killed, I think, 60,000 people. It was terrible. And I wanted to send down some... Um, uh, medicines uh, for the refugees that were in refugee centers. And, you know, one person gets sick, they all get sick and thousands of people that had lost their homes and talked to doctors there to find out what they needed. And, and I was not comfortable working with the docs. I went to the doc to, you know, and okay, who's your boss? Who's your boss? You know, trying to get to the top of the food chain to figure out who I could talk to, to make sure things weren't stolen, stolen on the dock. 
and uh, I was getting nowhere. It was so frustrating. I finally drove to the presidential palace. I said, I'm here to see the president. And they got on the phone and said a couple of things and waved me in to go park. And I went inside and they said, and I, I said, I'm Kim Sorrell. I'm here to see the president. And they made a phone call and had me sit down. And then they walked me up some stairs and there was Hugo Chavez, President Hugo Chavez uh, in a press conference. And so we waited for the press conference to be done and ushered into an office. And then I talked to him and told him what I had going. And he guaranteed that everything would get through on the docks, that nothing would get stolen. And that's what happened. Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I asked the question. The, the, <laughs> that took an unexpected turn. <laughs> you, had me, you had me wondering which country and the, okay. Uh, well, gosh. So um, that could have been a mistake to just show up unannounced saying. I need yeah, to especially, to the- yeah. I mean, they have big guns. So yeah, it certainly well, could have been a mistake. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, I don't know. Did it help being a woman that they 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 didn't think that you were uh, a revolutionary coming to overthrow him? Did they, I mean, there must have been some security checks, though. <laughs> you would think that there'd be more than what there were. I mean, they they really <laughs> did. I had my fourteen year old son with me, and they just let us in. I mean, it was it was. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know how. But, you know, an answer to prayer or whatever. But, um, yeah, it was, I think being a woman probably helped me in that moment uh-huh. uh, because I, I wouldn't, wasn't a threat. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. That's, 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 that's fascinating. How, I'm just curious. How, I mean, like, how, how long, not to get too deep into this, but like, I mean, how long was that meeting or, or, the, or that interaction or, you know, I mean, See, looking at you suspiciously as an American capitalist, or you know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, it was probably forty-five minutes. Uh-huh. I was with him for for quite some time, and uh, certainly had to build a rapport to begin mm. with. Yeah, build a trust so that we could talk about the nuts and bolts of things. Wow, and and he did follow through on that commitment to make sure things got yes. Through. Wow. Yeah, actually, I got phone calls from other nonprofits that were trying to send aid down that their stuff had been sitting on the dock for a year. A year later, I got a phone call from one and a year and a half later from another, and their stuff was still on the dock and not released. And it cost money to sit on the dock and wondered if I could use my my poll. And and I, I said, I think that was probably a one-time deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um so now allow me to, I don't know, a smooth transition to talk about your book. Maybe you came in with a, a loving attitude and, and and you know, because you were doing work to help people and maybe that that came through. But let, let's let's talk about your your second book, Love Is. I mean, you know, love is a word we we know, right? But it generates so many, I don't know, songs, poems, <laughs> movies. We 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 love exploring the idea of love. Like what what prompted you to write the book and and to to really dig into the meaning of love? Well, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he passed away six weeks after that. And yeah, it was a crazy time. And I was 47 years old and thought I had my life planned. We were going to grow old together. And all of a sudden I was alone. 
And it's different being alone after all those years. And uh, so I questioned some things and the true meaning of love, what love really is, is one of the things I questioned. I wanted to make sure I was doing this life right and that I understood. And there does seem to be this mystery around love, like who's really done a deep dive into love. So I decided I would dedicate a year to figuring out the true meaning of love. So I took this 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at weddings, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, right? And decided I would take one word a month and figure out what is love that is patient, what is love that is kind. And I got to tell you, Mark, I have a hard time committing to an entree when I go out to eat (laughs) at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So committing a year to something was a big thing for me to do. But uh, the things I learned just blew my mind. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Writing, writing a book is almost like committing to eating the same dinner every night. <laughs> you better like that meal. You better like that topic. And I mean, I think clearly um, you do. And um, I am, uh, boy, and, and when you talk about love is patient, love is kind, that's actually biblical Corinthians. Right. I'm not an expert on this. Remind, yeah, yeah, remind us. Yeah. Corinthians 13. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, really powerful. And um, I, oh gosh, I mean, this is twenty-one and a half years ago. Speaking of love, um, I'm trying. I might be. I'm trying to remember if that was read at our at my wedding. My wife and I at our wedding. I um, I'm going to blame it being early in the morning and <laughs> the coffee not kicking in, and she won't be too upset with me about that that detail. But it's powerful. It's 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 beautiful when you talk about. Yeah, love is patient, love is kind. The full, I know you you explore this in in the book and and the the uh, the ebook guide that that you have available. But what what surprised you most then? You know, in that year of study and learning and reflection, like what surprised you most about love? Oh my gosh, there were so many surprises, and it was a crazy year. I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I got lost on a mile high mountain with a med student in the dark. I left outside with tarantulas and snakes and chupacabras or whatever is lurking in the bushes of Haiti. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff happened. And so I learned so much the whole time. But love, I think, uh, is so often thought of as a feeling or an emotion. And it's not. You know, if you watch a scary movie, that night you go to bed, you hear every creak, every bump, right? You know, you're scared. Something's going to jump out at you. But you get over it. You don't live in fear. Here's an emotion. You don't live in fear, but you live in love. Love, you don't hang it up in the closet when you get home or when you get to the office. It is always with you. It's part of you. It's who you are. And then how you choose to live it is up to you. But but love is, is everything everywhere. And there seems to be this uh, expectation, you know, maybe even when you were in marriage counseling with your wife, you might have heard that you know, love is, you know, it's got to be 50-50, it's got to be 100-100, or that it's a two-way street or whatever. And none of that is true. Love is 100% on you. If I if I give you money and you give me a pair of jeans, that's a transaction. And love is not a transaction. Love is on you. You have no control over anybody but yourself. And so I think people get hurt so often because when they love, they have this expectation of getting that the same love in return, but you have no control over what comes back. You have no control. So when you do that, you set yourself up for heartache and disappointment and loneliness. And 
Uh, love is not that. Love loves, period. Love loves everyone and love just loves. So the word unconditional comes to mind. Like love, love, if it's really love, it's 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 unconditional, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's unconditional. Everybody is worthy of love. Everybody is, including yourself. You know, so you got to love yourself so you can love other people. But um, we're we're all worthy of love. You don't have to like everybody. I think that gets a little messy when people start yeah. to think about that. You don't have to like everybody, but but loving everybody, uh, mm. just loving the uniqueness of everybody and everybody's differences, and and uh, showing that love, living in that love is is the most freeing, peaceful way to live. Oh. That's very nicely said. Um, you, you use this phrase, you know, you talk about loving ourselves, um, which which leads into another uh, a question I was going to ask. So if we if we go through the love is patient, love is kind, and it continues, um, as as you highlight in um, in the ebook, um, love keeps no record of wrongs. So that jumped out at me when we think of the theme here for my favorite mistake, the podcast, my my book, um, the mistakes that make us of like, you know, finding a balance of like, you know, when, when we make a mistake to be kind to ourselves, to love ourselves, however you want to put it and, you know, like re- reflect and learn without shaming ourselves or making ourselves feel bad or dwelling on it. Like what, what are your thoughts about, you know, sort of, um, loving yourself when you make mistakes? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You've, pick that one. I dreaded doing that month. I wanted to put it off. I was thinking, what could that even mean? Because we might forgive people. We might forgive the things that happened to us, but you don't forget. So, you know, keeping record of wrongs, you know, what does that mean? And, and the reality is that, oh my gosh. And what I went through that month was crazy to finally get hit over the head with the truth of it. But, uh, we, we picked the tone. We pick the narrative. We choose our own narrative, right? There can be two people in the same traffic jam and one guy is mad and his blood pressure is going up and he's pounding on the steering wheel and he's honking his horn. And in the very next car, a guy's going, ah, you know, I'm in this traffic jam. There's nothing I can do. Mark's got this great podcast. <laughs> I think I'll turn that on and just chill. Yeah. And so, you know, the same situation with two different narratives. Two completely different narratives. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we pick the narrative. Mm-hmm. So with the stuff that happens to us that might make us go, oh my gosh, I was so dumb. I can't believe I did that. Yeah. Instead of that going, oh, well, what did I learn? You yeah. know, what, what did I learn from that? And how did, how can I grow from that? Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. And it makes me think of um, the late, great Stephen Covey of, you know, the seven habits fame. Um, I, I had an opportunity once I'm very thankful for um, to, to do a brief interview with him. And I was I was there in person. It's one of the, the few times where I was actually like holding a recorder up to somebody. And he, I, you know, I, I asked him a question about, um, you know, like respecting uh, people in the workplace. And what does that mean to you? And I'm, I'm quite certain he actually used the word love. That means you love, you know, others. I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing, and I, I could link to the conversation, but that, that really struck me as being really powerful. And, and then when you know he, he taught a class, 
he was emphasizing, and I try to reminding myself of this, of putting a pause between stimulus and response is something humans should have the unique ability to do maybe. Um, but we sometimes struggle with that. And, and I think what you're saying makes me think of like, you know, putting in that pause. If someone's being unkind to you, we have, we have, we have a choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that there's so much wisdom in that. And, uh, I'm thinking about how things in my own life would be different if I put in the pause more often, you know, it's easy to, you know, like as a couple, it can be so easy. You get in an argument over some stupid thing because usually they're over some stupid thing, right? And so, you know, you might start with a conversation that turns into more of a confrontation and pretty soon, you know, your blood pressure is rising and your mind's going crazy. And then you're going, and, 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 and that thing that you did that last week, and then two years ago when you did this and, you know, whatever, you know, we bring up stuff from the past because we're at this heightened phase of our, our bodies, adrenaline's rushing and all these things are happening to us. And if you can take a pause instead mm-hmm. of going to that place, yeah, things would be a lot different. We we can choose calm. We can choose kindness. We can choose love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It is a and, choice. Yeah, and and so I want to ask you about how you apply what you've learned to the workplace, country club, other settings. Steve, Stephen Covey, I, I could be wrong, but I'm quite certain he used the word love. And I'll tell you, when I started my career in manufacturing, nobody went anywhere near that word love. Um, in healthcare, people do more often use the word love in a platonic, uh, you know, we we love our patients, we can be loving and, you know, all of that. But um, like, what, what have you learned about, you know, choosing love or being loving toward um, employees or what, you know, what advice do you have for others if they're running a business like you do? Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, one thing that love does is recognize is that everybody is this unique individual masterpiece, right? This one of a kind, nobody ever like you before, nobody ever will be like you again. You are the only you, you're the only one that has walked in your shoes. So everyone has a past. Everyone was raised in different homes. You know, we all have stuff that we bring to today. You know, all of our days that we've led so far lead us to today. And so to pause and take a moment when you're questioning why somebody responded a certain way, to realize, well, they responded that way because of who they are. And because, because not so much necessarily who they are, but what they know, what they've been taught and, and, and what they know. And so to give grace is loving to, uh, you know, question yourself first and say, you know, what could I do differently? Yeah. What kind of training or what, what could I do differently to help this, this person on my staff, but respecting and recognizing that they have a family and they're an individual. And my, my dad was old school, you know, 1960s, mad men or I don't know, kind of leadership. Right. Uh Yeah. And, and he used to say, Kim, you got to swear at people sometimes. And I go, I'd say, Dad, if I ever have to swear at somebody, we shouldn't be working together because nobody should ever be disrespected like that. You know, things should not be so bad that you have to swear at somebody. 
I think, you know, you love helps you keep that perspective that each individual and grateful, my gosh, so grateful for the people that would put in the time to, to work for me. Yeah. You know, just how nice. Well, I'm sorry. What was that last part? I cut you off. It's just so, it's just so wonderful. You know, yes. the, the commitment and loyalty and mm-hmm. friendships that develop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and that's, yeah. And I, I love the way you, you phrase it. Um, questioning yourself first, like a lot of times leaders for, for different reasons, because someone's made a mistake or they're, um, there, there are problems. Uh, it seems like the default, like, you know, leaders will jump in to blame the person. And I've even seen, you know, situations where people didn't reflect and learn the way you did with your grocery store. They will just keep hiring and firing and curse all those employees or why, you know, why do I, and without thinking like, okay, if, if the problem really is a series of crappy employees, like what, what role do you play? In that? And I've had other, I've had other guests share that reflection where it took a couple of mistakes before they realized, okay, I'm, as you put it, um, okay, it's time to question, question myself first, instead of just pointing fingers at others. That's that, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, well, I think it's it's just so so true. Anytime I've ever felt like I had to let somebody go, I would first think I say anytime, like my whole life I did this. This is something I learned to do. <laughs> but I would first think, did I train them right? Did I have I equipped them? Do they they have the necessary tools that they need to really do the job? And then I'd question, are they in the right position? Is there a different position in the company that they should be in? Maybe that's not their skill set. Maybe that's just not where they should be. But the whole time recognizing that they're a person, (laughs) they're a real person with a life that I love this person and you want the best for them. And so uh, if I believe that I have indeed trained them well, and if I believe that they really are not in the right position, and so they're not going to be happy there either, and get to a point where I have to cut the ties to to make it uh, not so painful, mm-hmm. you know, to um, let them realize that you see their value. It just doesn't happen to be in that position. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's a matter of fit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You're you're triggering one other memory, and this is a very vivid memory back to, um, forgive me, uh, General Motors 1995 or so. Some visiting executive coming to the plant, and I can't even picture the room and kind of picture the table that he sort of pounded on, but I'll clean it up. But the the very direct quote was something like, you know, you've got a bleeping swear at people or they don't bleeping know that you're bleeping serious. I mean, it was like, okay, okay. Like that's was that my dad? <laughs> I wonder if that was my dad. <laughs> I mean, there and yeah, that was not a healthy, good environment. But long story short, we got a new leader um, for for that facility, and you know the 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 attitude of of a leader and the respect, the true respect that they have for employees that 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 makes such a huge difference. It does. It does. I mean. You're at work a lot of hours in a week, right? You spend a, you spend more time at work than you do with your spouse a lot of times, or certainly with your kids or with whoever. And so it's a big part of your life. And uh, people d- 
deserve to be deserve isn't a word that I I throw around lightly. I, I'm not fond of that word, but um, but people do deserve to be treated with respect at work. Yeah, um, that's great. So uh, before we wrap up here, uh, our guest has been Kim Sorrell. Her most recent book again is Love is is is, is there another topic that you've decided whether it's a full year or not to dive into and and to to research and think about and write something new. Yeah, well, interesting uh, question. Yes, I'm actually writing a book on grief right now. Uh, grief is a in a place that we don't always give each other grace to grieve and it's so individual and you know there's this list of steps of grief that you're supposed to go through and not everybody does and you know, sometimes you need permission to grieve and understand what, what grief is. And so I'm co-authoring with a friend of mine who's a medium. Mm-hmm. Huh. So it, she has a, a different perspective um, on grief as well. So it's it's been fun. It's interesting. It'll be good. I'm sure people can sign up for more information um, through your website. Again, our guest is uh, Kim Sorrell, kimsorrell.com. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. So you can get there. And then the final thing you know, I want to offer and share, because I, I downloaded this, I took you up on the offer, Kim. Uh, you spent a year looking at love. Um, you, you've set up uh, maybe an easier, shorter challenge, a 14-day love challenge. There's an ebook that people can go and, and, and download. Just t- tell us about that real quickly of you know why somebody should go and do that. Well, I think there's such misunderstanding about love. And when you really understand what love actually is and how to live it, it really is life-changing for all the good reasons in all good ways. And so it's an easy challenge. It's just reading something about love every day, short and sweet, and then thinking about it that day and, and trying to live it out that day, see what that feels like. And so it's there, there are 14 is's and isn'ts of love in that chapter. And so it took me a little longer than a year. But uh, so that's why it's a 14-day love challenge. And when you sign up for it, I will send you, if you sign up on my website for it, you can do it without signing up. You can do it either way. If you do, I will send you a free WWLD, what would love do, wristband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you're going to answer any question with <laughs> what would love do, you're going to be doing the right thing. That's so perfectly said. That's a, a, a lovely note um, to end on. So again, our guest has been uh, Kim Sorrell. Most recent book, Love Is. Um, Kim, I've loved having you here as a guest. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. It should be on everybody's podcast list and everybody in the world should listen to you. You have such wisdom and I just so enjoy you and your show. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Kim Sorrell for being such a fantastic guest today. To learn more about her, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 205. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.